Welcome to Clearing the Haze, Making the Invisible Visible, a podcast show that discusses topics that are usually invisible or just hazy. I'm your host, Shachi Irte. Please note, this podcast was recorded during the lockdown in the country with limited resources. We thank you for your support and understanding. The messages and stories shared here, however, are clear of haze and enables inclusion for all. In our episode today, we will discuss about challenges children from the marginalized sector face, causes for child marriages, their rights, their safety, creating awareness around good touch, bad touch, amongst others. For the discussion, let's welcome our guests. Anison P. D. Alexander is the director and co-founder of Canal Innovations, an NGO based in Kerala, India, that works exclusively for the empowerment of children. Their mission is to help children inspire hope, ignite imagination, and aspire dreams. Our second guest is Shobha Koshi. She has had an illustrious career. She was the Chief Postmaster General of Kerala Post Circle and after her retirement was appointed as the Chairperson for the Kerala State Commission for Protection of Children's Rights from March 2015 to March 2018. You know, Anson, you are co-founder at Canal Innovations. Can you share with us the areas of your work your organization is involved in? Yeah, really. For about uh, five years, I studied about NGOs, uh, social organizations and their workings. And when I thought the uh, concept of starting some NGO, I traveled extensively throughout Kerala. And so many hardcore realities like untouchability, child marriages, superstitions, poverty, illiteracy, etc. All those were considered as eradicated from our community before decades itself. But that was not the reality. Mm. And the reason for all these were not only the lack of material support, I saw a huge social exclusion and I realized that there was a lot of work to be done at the grassroots level in this area. As most of the NGOs mainly concentrated on material empowerment, I took providing mental empowerment as my motto. Subsequently, I came uh, to the conclusion uh, that I had the ability to uh, really make a change and I founded Canal Innovation with a lot of hard work and dedication. Uh, This was my beginning and uh, we are still on the journey. Uh, The destination has uh, not yet arrived. Thank you, Anson. Mental empowerment is so powerful and so much needed. And as we progress to our conversation, I will speak more to you on that. Now I will just move to Shobha. Shobha, you have served in various government and public sector organizations in leadership positions. Share with us your experience as a woman leader when policies and society outlook was not as forward looking as we believe it is today. Hi Sachi, I think I am a prime example of the change in society in terms of women working or -hmm. women getting employed. You know, right after, I always wanted to join the civil service. Mm -hmm. My parents were equally determined that I get married right after college. Uh So even after my graduation in the first, when I completed the first year of master's, I was engaged. I insisted I complete my studies Mm -hmm. and my future husband supported me. So Mm -hmm. within a month of uh, completing the course, I was married Mm -hmm. and with strict 
instructions not to disrupt the marriage with thoughts of uh, career and stuff like that mm-hmm. so it took 6 years of marriage and two children for me to open up and say that this is what i want to do but i am extremely lucky because i have a very supportive husband who mm-hmm. said why didn't you say this before and allowed me to realize my dreams and i was lucky i still had a chance to appear mm-hmm. for the civil service before after i finished my exam thing but having mm-hmm. sat in leadership positions and still seeing the situation around i know mm-hmm. that there are several barriers for women coming into work and these barriers are in terms of a conducive environment you know mm-hmm. the structure is still made for easy for men but not for women i'll give you a very simple and small example in the postal service where i worked initially mm-hmm. you know it, it is the postman who go out to work i mean to serve the to deliver the letters so they have what is in every post office there will be a space available called the postman's room where okay. you know these guys come and change then they come and rest they do everything when i came as chief postmaster general to kerala mm-hmm. by, by the time i joined the service in 81 women had started becoming postmen post women or postmen mm-hmm. lady postmen what happened was that nobody ever thought of giving them a space so in 19 2009 when i took over as chief pmg and had a opportunity to create an infrastructure i talked to the women and found that many of them you know they go into the toilet behind a cupboard they change they all after 45s you know 48 mm-hmm. 50 they get back ache with this constant walk every day it's a, i mean the men feel tired you can imagine the condition of women but there was no mm-hmm. space and they did not even think of raising a voice and i had to keep protesting no a part has to be carved aside i am talking looking at hundreds of mothers who don't mm-hmm. have crash facilities who don't have breastfeeding facilities you know there are so many and um, even even in traveling there are no mm-hmm. very often you know we have young girls traveling all over the countryside without a proper toilet facility they have to go into homes and ask facility so you know that is one part the infrastructure part is still there are a lot of gaps to be covered and the second thing is the social image that you have that women can go out to work but they also need to do everything that they were doing previously so what happens is women often forsake promotions they dread mm-hmm. transfers they are constantly made to give up jobs they have to take leave when children are uh, having exams when there is a marriage any social function so you know that marriage is an equal partnership that your home is something that is not where roles are not gender specific where taking mm-hmm. care of children is is not gender based these things i see as huge barriers which are slowly changing but there is huge room for improvement for women to really come out and work on equal terms that's my observation thank you shobha you know what i picked from both what you and anson said is that empowerment is so important and the earlier we start empowering people or children 
the sooner we start understanding what our rights are, what can we do with it, and how can we progress. So with that, I'm going to just ask, what is the primary objective of Child Rights Commission? Child Rights Commission, you know, it is a statutory body. Mm -hmm. It is set up under the Commission for Protection of Child Rights Act of 2005. Mm -hmm. This was set up with a specific mandate to ensure that all the laws and policies and programs and other things that government has brought out for the protection of the rights of children are effectively implemented. And also that certain okay. standards that have been set up, whether by the UN conventions or by the national standards, that they are being adhered to. If I put it very simply, they are supposed thereby to protect the best interests of children. Now, how do they do it? The mm -hmm. doing is through advocacy, through advice, mm -hmm. through monitoring, okay. through research, and through quasi-judicial powers only for the purpose of addressing grievances or complaints. So okay. any order that a commission gives uh -huh. is advisory in recommendatory in nature. It is okay. for the government to accept or not accept. If they don't accept it, they have to give a reason for it. And a commission functions outside the executive supervision. You are not under any government department. You are independent. And you have the right to look into any system. And you are also required to see whether the voice of children are informed mm -hmm. in your own work as well as the work of government in the laws, in the policies in, that, you, that the government brings out and also in the activities of local self-governments. I mean, in a nutshell, this is what the commission is supposed to do. That's quite a lot for the commission to achieve, to do and deliver. Right. Thank you so much for sharing that uh, with us, uh, Shobha. It throws a lot of light into my understanding of what work the commission is supposed to do and how it goes about executing its responsibilities. Anson, with strides in technology, education and awareness about prevention of child marriages, have you seen change happening at the grassroots levels? Well, madam, as I told earlier, untouchability, child marriage, superstitions, poverty, illiteracy are uh, they are uh, very hardcore realities which is still there in our society. Mm -hmm. I think it is not at all suitable for a modern uh, society. I started mainly working with child marriage to make it more visible. Uh, we conducted a study, Women's Canal, uh, we conducted a study in 2017 along with Kudumbasri Mission. The mm -hmm. result was uh, really shocking. From 2017, uh, we made a lot of discussions and campaigns about this topic. Our uh, rural library mission, Nyangalkum Uru Vayanayidam, I think uh, Shobha Koshi Madam also came uh, to our uh, program and she also contributed a lot to our program, was one of these. And through this, we conducted a series of campaigns. We discussed uh, the laws pertaining to child marriage with the community and made it very clear that the child marriages are not just personal issues or they are mm -hmm. not just marriage. They are coming under the purview of child sexual abuse and the laws concerning it. Awareness mm -hmm. about health, importance of education, finding a job, being self-sustained 
and then taking up the responsibility of a marriage is discussed with the community for sustainability we gave okay. them job training too i think uh, because of all these cumulative activities and a lot of work from other ngos and departments the government has started to look into this matter very seriously in 2018 women and child development department conducted a separate study in another area in the same district and the result was something more distressing now the government participation uh, in this has increased since 2020 the government has conducted many campaigns and training in the last 2 years to reduce child marriages we can proudly say uh, kanal is also the part of uh, this training our uh, rural library mission was presented as a model tool to mobilize the community against child marriage very recently our government has declared a reward of 2500 rupees to those who gave some vital information about child marriage i think all these are some of the changes that happened in the past 3 years so anson you are saying that now the government and the public uh, along with all the ngos are building more awareness towards preventing child marriages um, which is essentially coming up because of poverty lack of education lack of understanding of child rights So Shobha yes. what role does the child rights commission play in prevention of child marriages you know i will take off a slightly a different uh, aspect of child marriage and i will talk about the period from 15 to 18 which i am more familiar with and also some things that are being done by the commission thereafter sure. you know we, we started looking at this issue of child rights or child marriage because as you know it is a violation of the developmental and protection uh, right to development right to protection and right to participation these are mm-hmm. the three rights that are violated when a child is subjected to a, a child marriage so in when the census details came out of 2011 we were surprised to find that when the rest of india child marriages came down from 2. 51% to 2.44 in kerala it went up from 1.25% to 1.57% now that came as a bit of a shock to us say how did this happen yes. so then we looked at the further dissing we worked with the kerala university demographics department mm-hmm. they had done greater analysis and what we found that was that in the urban area in mm-hmm. in india i mean in kerala while the last census that's the 2001 census had a 1.29% it had become 1.64 in urban areas and similarly in rural area when it was 1.13 it had become 1.49 what oh. was even more shocking was that there was an approximately 8% increase from the 15% reduction that had happened from 91 to 2001 so this was a very startling event so we went mm-hmm. into greater detail and then we found even something more fascinating it was always believed that child marriages were more in the you know north of kerala but okay. we found that the that mm-hmm. the percentage of growth i'm not talking numbers percentage mm-hmm. of growth was more in the south which is you know literacy and progress and everything is happening here and child uh-huh. marriages so happening 
So when we looked at it, a further divide showed us that the percentage of increase in among Hindus is 40.3%. With among the Christians, which is 43.3%. And Muslims was only 6%. But the base being large, the numbers in the Muslims may be high. But look at the percentages. So this made the commission. That's why I said the commission does research. So we mm -hmm. went into this into a greater detail to see what is causing it. And surprisingly, we found that while the traditional issues like what you mentioned, poverty and patriarchy and all those things were there, there were new factors coming into a very educated setup. Now, what were some of those factors? One of the things we noticed because we monitor right to education is mm -hmm. that the percentage of drop of girls vis-a-vis uh, -vis boys was much higher in the low in as the uh, children go into 11th and 12th. This was oh. one thing that we noticed in certain areas. The second thing that we noticed is so that means we realized we had to tackle dropout rate issue, the dropout mm -hmm. in school issue at the higher level. We also found from the uh, census data that it is in the 16 to 18 category. It's almost 17 where all the child marriages are happening. 15 and below, there is a little bit, but the majority, the bulk is happening in the 16 to 18 area. So it is closer to 17 that the problem is happening where parents are taking. So we started looking at what were the reasons for that. Now, interestingly, in addition to all the other problems, we found that there are many socioeconomic issues. Now, what are they? One is that children are getting exposed to the social media. They are mm -hmm. getting exposed to world trends. They are in this current scenario. What happens is that they are also very vulnerable and are getting in, uh, into so emotional and physical relationships. And the parents find that extremely, un they are making undesirable matches because, you know, it may not be your caste, it may not be your creed, it may not be your social people of equal status. And vulnerable children are getting into this. So what do they do? They marry them off so that the child's future and the family's good name is preserved. This is one thing. Second thing is that a lot of young boys are going to the Gulf when they are mm -hmm. right after school. So they don't have any college or other education. So when they come back as an earning member, there is a, mm -hmm. they look out for girls. Mm -hmm. So parents don't want their children to have a higher qualification than the boy. And when they get a good match and from and they think that if they make them study further, they won't get good matches. So what happened is that they were getting them married off. So that is called the Gulf factor. Then there is this thing that fathers who are single parents, many homes have single parents because parents, the fathers are abroad, mothers are bringing up. They can't handle the situation. So that also leads to, again, undesirable matches. So that is also a problem. Then dowry, certainly, as Anson was saying, that's an issue because if you get a good match with somebody saying, we'll marry your daughter without a dowry, if you give her right now, that's also happening. And then there are these great ads and, you know, 
TV programs where they show the bride looking beautiful, all beautifully adorned, and that dream is being brought by bought by young girls. So what is happening is that they are also agreeable to getting married because they think this is the fairy tale that I will achieve when I see when I get married. So what is happening is mm-hmm. it is not lack of education. There are a whole host of other factors that are coming in, which are address, which are causing this new trend, and this trend is continuing. So what we started to do was one, we started monitoring dropouts. Now we found that in places like Malappuram, where the marriage rate is, this child marriage was an issue. There was a team. got together which involved the district child protection officer the entire child development the setup icds setup as well because they are the child marriage protection of prevention officers under the prevention of child marriage act so these people the district magistrate the cwc the police and the district collector they formed a team and they started working in unison with the intention of preventing the marriages not only by advocacy of wonderful methods were tried out it's all been documented by uh, by them it's called the handbook on child marriage it's a very fascinating read how they created whatsapp group they used technology so they did all of this and this team work started with the idea that it is not filing cases because parents are doing this with the best interest of children so we need to talk to them advocate them they started talking to both boys and girls not just the girls boys and girls so there were a whole host of activities and a large number of marriages were prevented and if you will believe me there was a young girl who even took up to courage to walk into a child friendly police station and tell them please help to stop my marriage my i want to study so her case was sort of highlighted and she was made a kind of a role model for other people so there was a lot of inspirational work so what we did was we created a platform where all these activities could be projected and uh, so that people other people could also take a cue from how to handle this i want to actually just bring anson in this point and ask him to explain how in a complex country like ours with so many languages cultures and subcultures and everything how does he go about building this awareness to ensure that they understand what it is really about and how do they accept this change yes uh, when we are uh, looking into kerala uh, language has uh, as we know the malayalam is our mother tongue and uh, language issue uh, have arisen mainly from tribal areas we have mm-hmm. a misconception that uh, their mother tongue is also malayalam but uh, that is not true uh, they having their own indigenous language in this area uh, we gave more importance to performing arts like theater dance than posters illustrations where uh, the language is universal also we select uh, talented people from the tribal communities and train them in our programs with their with their help uh, we created study materials and then uh, we in turn used them as our guides to communicate to the tribal people this how we tackled that issue 
Oh, great. You know, you also spoke about creating awareness on good touch and bad touch earlier when we were discussing and using uh, storytelling and theater. Can you tell us more about your approach and the impact it is creating? Yeah, as we uh, know the children, especially we are uh, dealing with children. So we all know that uh, children love listening to stories, coloring or drawings uh, or like a game, etc. Letting these, all these, their senses taking the information in through visual and auditory methods. So we created puppet shows, illustrations, uh, paintings, folk songs to get our information across to them and communicate to them. As it is a sensory approach, children tend to remember these messages for life. Unlike uh, the didactic uh, lecturing and classes where it is soon forgotten. Thanks, Anson. Shobha, we talk a lot about, you know, child abuse or inappropriately touched by someone known to them. Young children are often confused and don't know who to complain. And sometimes parents brush it aside or refuse to acknowledge it. Can you share an approach to building awareness around child abuse or inappropriate touch? What can the child do? Who can the child approach? And how do you educate parents in this? Well, um, far as the commission is concerned, again, looking at the data, 85% of abuse of any kind, particularly child sexual abuse, happens from people who know the child or somebody who is close to the child. It could be a family, neighbor, or it could be teachers, somebody that, or the friend of the family. So that is what makes life very difficult because you are reaching literally into the home of the, I mean, into the, within the home, you're crossing the threshold. So one of the things that we did do was we collaborated with an NGO and mm-hmm. using Evan Polly as the as a, the famous actor, a, a famous director called Jude Anthony, we mm-hmm. brought out a film which was okay. widely re- released saying about the good touch, bad touch. So mm-hmm. that was sort of circulated everywhere and uh, with the commission backing it to give it uh, support from the, that this was an authentic and serious issue. That was one of the public, I mean, advocacy things that we did. Other than that, you know, we had um, discussions with all the various stakeholders once again and also looked at certain enforcement issues because when these issues come to light, very often the tendency is to cover it up. And then right. thereafter, the, the because there's the stigma involved. So we started um, with the help, with working with the government, we started uh, sort of addressing parents on how to do things. Teachers, because teachers are a great source of information and, um, and a contact point. So mm-hmm. we started improving the training programs of teachers by addressing this issue. We had extensive mentoring sessions with counselors across Kerala on how to handle parents and children who come to them with this. Most of the thing was stakeholder sensitization. And also, when I talk of enforcement, you know, all these kind of cases come under Protection of Children from Sexual Offences Act, for which Mm -hmm. the commission has a mandate along with the Juvenile Justice Act and the Right to Education Act to specifically monitor its implementation. So we started identifying the kind of gaps that can be there. But I must say that clinic, I mean, it is 
uh, addressing parents with the support of NGOs like Anson or Bodhini or there are so many other good NGOs working in the field. Plus also the Anganwadis where parents and adolescents and all come. We have tried to create the awareness and to tell the children that who are the likely people you can confide in if such a mm. thing comes to light. Mostly, it, so far, it has been the teachers who have been a big source of creating information. And so we tend to promote those kind of things. Great. So a multi-pronged approach with uh, building awareness through storytelling, theater, coaching, parents, uh, mentoring teachers. There are a multitude of ways of that you yeah. have uh, started working on this. You know, moving on, the pandemic has caused unmeasurable challenges for many. And one what I observed is that the access to online classes is not available to most of them in the socio-economically poor section of the society or in the villages because of network, sometimes because of non-availability of the instrument itself. Is this going to be a huge lost opportunity with all the efforts that were made to get people educated, get the children into the school? Is this going to create a lot of illiteracy? And then, of course, the cycle of poverty and everything else that comes along with it. Are we looking towards creating such a, for lack of better word, mess? How is it in the uh, rural area or how is it in the sections of the society where you are interacting? Anson, could you throw some light on this? Yeah, definitely. Uh, we had conducted a study in uh, December 2020, which showed that uh, 75 percentage of uh, children in tribal area areas were uh, able to attend online classes only for less than one hour. That too, many are not regular. As you told, this is mainly due to the network issues uh, or uh, like uh, the infrastructure, like most of the people are not, most of the students are not having any uh, gadgets, like that there are a lot of issues. And uh, this is a major infringement. What I think is it's a major infringement in the fundamental right of a child to education. Online classes are creating a big digital divide. Definitely, mm -hmm. we can say method would increase the uh, rate of school dropouts and definitely it will lead to poverty and again as we uh, discussed earlier all other social menaces will come again and which would in turn wipe away years of struggle and progress in the child education and literacy. Uh, this matter has uh, now been uh, taken up by our judiciary uh, where mm -hmm. the government was asked to elucidate on how exactly it planned to provide accessible means of online education to children of marginalized sections of the society who don't have any access to the internet connectivity or smartphones. Great. Thanks, Anson. Let's hope that all the efforts that are being taken to bridge the digital divide actually happens. And more importantly, let's hope that we put this pandemic behind us and resume our in-person classes. You know, speaking yeah. of online classes, uh, we read about cyberbullying and online sexual harassment of children. Recently, it was reported in a couple of newspapers, which happened. And unfortunately, the teachers were responsible in certain cases to have created this abuse. These are new set of threats for children. What would your advice be to children and parents in an unfortunate incident where the child is a victim of cyberbullying? Well, uh, we know each and every technology has uh, its positive and uh, negative aspects. So we must learn to use it responsibly. 
for this parent and child should have the basic knowledge about internet safety its merits its demerits opportunities and all what we usually see is parents are not at all aware about uh, how internet works or what is happening in internet and its reach hence parents are incompetent to uh, teach children about the internet and the safety aspects cyberbullying happens uh, everywhere especially uh, with the children since they are most vulnerable we should realize uh, that events on internet are happening in a virtual world and it does not have any limitation or fixed boundaries uh, we can always uh, stay away from a danger when we are aware of this danger hence responsible use of internet and social media is the need of the hour one piece of advice i would like to give to child is not to panic always mm. tell your parents exactly what happened online truthfully and to uh-huh. parents i would advise them not to be critical or hostile to your child when they open up to you instead be supportive and uh-huh. contact the concerned authorities as we know there are a lot of uh, authorities and lot of helplines available in our community and mm-hmm. if you find it necessary seek expert help without any hesitation great thanks anson shobha i would like you to add to what anson mentioned about how children can report cyberbullying and who can they reach out to could you add some details on this please yes um actually the i know that in kerala for example the police have been very active in reaching out to children the cyberdome people they have been during the pandemic been conducting mm-hmm. an operation where they have been able to first of all they are well aware that this problem is happening and they have been tackling and putting out a lot of information by even on the net so that any parent who wants to know about these things there is advice and there are very simple tips that they have given how mm-hmm. to handle it both for the children and for the parents but anson is right in the sense that you hand over a mobile to a child right from the time the child is able to crawl and mm-hmm. you think that the child is a master because you don't know how to handle this equipment you think that the child knows everything about it merely because it is it plays around but the implications are not clear to the child it's just information it doesn't transfer into a knowledge so right. partly and also in selection of things like uh, games that you select mm-hmm. or the videos that you present to the children today you have predators lurking in chat rooms you have this playstations and minecraft and all these kind of games people masquerading as youngsters and then luring people mm. in so all these kind of things are dangers just like in the real world there are dangers in the virtual world too now that yes. is something that i think the parents haven't understood the children haven't realized the implications so you know mm. it is important to bridge this gap and mm-hmm. i think any amount of as anson said if there are any problems there are a number of helplines and things happen even today if you don't even have want to put it out on an internet but if you want to reach out the kerala government has started two interesting initiatives recently one is called kadorthu kadorthu means you can get online to the website website and just register 
people will get back to you in 48 hours they are supposed to respond it's a time bound mm-hmm. response but if you are very far away and you don't even have you run into any kind of problem bullying the not mm-hmm. just cyber bullying or anything that may have resulted thereof you can go to your nearest post office just put department of women and child write your address inside and drop it in a letter box the postmaster will send it to the department and people will come to help you out so you know they are reaching out then you have the various helplines so everybody is there but the problem is at that moment of panic as anson said the first bridge to cross is what will happen if my family comes to know of what i did so that is where you need to counsel and strengthen children that okay you made a mistake we can help you to get out of it and or that you yeah. these problems are there so don't be aware when you interact the some basic things like don't interact with a person you don't know you see even in yeah. real life you you yeah. if you don't interact and confide your innermost secrets to someone who is not your friend whom you know very well so don't do that so these sort of basic things nothing to do with technology but some mainly to do with human management you know how to manage the human being that kind of lessons i think we need to simplify it so that parents get over the bogey that i am dealing with some rocket science here no that rocket science may be there but what is happening is actually man made problems so how do you tackle it so that bridge needs to be crossed over i think that is what the whole system is now trying to do to say that don't be frightened of cyber just look at the bully part and so it's uh, just like you know uh, earlier on we used to tell children don't talk to strangers don't uh, you know share things or don't eat food given by strangers now only you have to change the actual physical stranger into a cyber stranger and then any last uh, words or messages to our listeners today yeah definitely we all know that uh, india is a growing nation uh, with the majority of population in the children and young adult group so it imperative to focus on them uh, they are our future and we need to educate empower and enable them to develop our society and for this our parents and elders need to be aware of the ways to mold the young generation parents are need to upgrade and update themselves in this aspect this is only the beginning and there is a lot of work to do together even for a small change in the society mm-hmm. let us remember the lines of uh, robert force the woods are lovely dark and deep but i have promises to keep and miles to go before i sleep and miles to go before i sleep thank you thank anson you. i really don't have any other words to conclude this beautiful session thank you so much for being wonderful guests thank you for listening in for this episode we would like to thank our guests the french embassy the french institute and the alliance foncies network in india for producing the show our special thanks to heman sarang and his team for their advice and technical support please do subscribe and review the show available on various podcasting platforms and on the website afindia.org/podcast listen in to the voices that are often invisible but powerful enough to clear the haze